0: This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. Every day we're bringing you the latest news from the world of business and finance, plus technology, politics, so much going on in the world of politics, economics, and it's all harnessing the power of Business Week reporters and editors. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio. And be sure to watch us too on YouTube by searching Bloomberg Global News. It is Fed Wednesday. We are Bloomberg Business Week. Carol Master, along with Tim Stenovic. let's bring in the team. Kathleen Hayes, Global Economics and Policy Editor at Bloomberg News. She's back in our Interactive broker studio. Dave Wilson, Stocks Editor at Bloomberg News, on the remote access from New Jersey. Kathleen, you had a few minutes to look at these headlines. What stands out for well, you? Well, I'd just
1: like to start with what the bond market has done, Carol, mm-hmm. because I made very careful note of where it was, and the there was it was flat. Just maybe the tenure was down a tenth. The tenure is now down eleven thirty seconds. The thirty-year bond, which was down three thirty uh, 330 seconds. Now down a full point. Why, Kathleen, do you ask? Well, because the Fed, as mostly expected, apparently at least in the policy statement has said nothing about the possibility of, number one, increasing the number of bonds they've been buying. That wasn't so expected, but the very least, some signal that they are ready to start changing the composition of the bond maturities, right? Go out the curve. Buy more long-term bonds. Make sure that that 10-year, which the yield is currently 0.94, people are going, oh my God, what if it goes above 1%? Well, the Fed apparently is not ready to say that yet. Certainly at the press, conference. Jay Powell will be asked about that. I think what surprised me, I guess not, when the the Fed, one of the headlines here is Mm -hmm. the Fed activity saying that economic activity and employment have continued to recover, okay? So some people are really concerned about even a negative first quarter. For example, something that didn't change, median forecast showing rates near zero through 2023. So the dot plots will not have changed. And of course, they're revising their um, economic and inflation forecast, et cetera, et cetera. But the headlines, one more thing, let me throw in um, yeah. that they're extending the temporary dollar swap lines and repurchase facility because that's just showing the doors open to overseas central banks reaching out if they need a little help from the Fed.
0: And um, forgive me if you said this, I'm like, been listening to you going through the Bloomberg. Uh, the Fed forecasting shows five of 17 officials saw a rate hike during 2023. So looking way out. Uh, Tim, we got to talk about the equity market reaction, too.
2: Yeah, we we certainly do. I mean, is anything surprising equity investors right now?
3: Dave, you want to come in on that? Yeah, it sure doesn't look like it because you had a little bit of fluctuation in the S&P 500 after uh, the meeting uh, results were were released. But I mean, you're talking about an S&P 500, it's up a tenth of a percent at this point. And if you look at things as they shake out in terms of industry groups, it's a familiar kind of story. You know, the top performer among the 11 main groups, consumer discretionary, it's a category that includes retail and therefore includes Amazon.com. And the entire gain in that index can be explained by the fact that Amazon is up 1.8%. And then right after that, technology stocks. And certainly they've been a story, you know, for some time. Uh, but seven of the 11 groups are lower. Utilities taking the biggest hit. Uh, talk about an interest rate sensitive group. So, you know, what we're seeing, not really a whole lot in what the uh, Federal Reserve released to kind of change investors' minds, it would seems, uh, when it comes to stocks here.
2: So it's so it's fair to say, Dave, that there were no big surprises, at least when it came to investors, in this latest Fed meeting.
3: Sure doesn't look that way. I mean, uh, not a whole lot of fluctuation in share prices, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, too. And I'm just going through our our Bloomberg Live blog. Love this. Uh, Notably, officials did not change their tone with respect to economic conditions, reiterating that the recovery will depend on the course of the virus and that the pandemic will continue to weigh on conditions in the near term. They say it poses considerable risks to the outlook in the medium term. Um, You know, we're watching this, uh, Kathleen. You know, it's so interesting. I just think about Fed decisions of the past where we were also focused on the rates for often, you know, but it's not really about that. Uh, It's really about what they are doing to either help out this economy uh, because of the pandemic.
1: Well, and um, I think you're right to point out the fact that, yes, it's still gonna, they're still saying that the, the economy is going to depend mm-hmm. on the virus. And we could even add to that, well, vaccines, how quickly can you get them out, right. et cetera. I think it's interesting, too, when you look at the change in the summary of economic projections, the SEPS, which that's where the dot plots for the interest rate hikes come from. It People were saying, including Elena Shaletjeva and our Bloomberg Economics team before this came out, that undoubtedly their outlook for unemployment, because it's come down a lot faster than they expected, would be much brighter. And in fact, they do say the 2020 jobless rate, 67 Uh, They had forecasted 7.6, and for next year, you will get down to 5.0 versus 5.5. You know, those are unemployment (laughs) rates that look like the olden days, right, before we got to those 50-year lows. Uh, The GDP forecast, a little bit more optimistic. On inflation, though, they really have, a little bit of improvement, but not much. They don't see us getting, uh, the economy getting to um, 2% on the core inflation rate until 2023, but I think that's kind of what they've been saying for a while.
0: Kathleen, I do want to ask you, we were talking about it early on our planning call that if during the powell press conference if news comes down about a stimulus plan or any progress significant progress um would we assume that everybody in the room will have access to headlines and that is something that they could bring up you know that's a great question
1: carol because i'm thinking now you're absolutely right the times i've been there you have to uh well certainly the lockup yeah. because you go in early then you give over your right. cell phone however you are allowed to have laptops because that's how you put the headlines together to flash them so yes I think it during the presser they will I thought you were going to ask me how Jay Powell reacted. and I was going to say <laughs> he he'll probably do a happy dance
0: right there in the middle of the press conference okay I mean, that would gonna, make my year question. of 2020 yes. <laughs> if Ed Powell did a happy dance uh, I'm just gonna put that out there yeah
1: well you know he does play guitar and he and his wife love to dance you read this all the time he's, he's quite a renaissance man but um, it's certainly a big deal it's probably the biggest deal for the Fed. And I expect that you know reporters are going to ask him a number of different questions about this, like what if this doesn't pass? Do you get worried, Chair Powell, about a negative first quarter, etc.? So I think this is something that uh, is is clearly on the table. We'll hear more about it, but who any minute, you know, we right. were talking about that well into the night on U.S. Asia. You know, our Daybreak Asia and Bloomberg Market shows uh, the stimulus package. Everybody's watching.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Dave Wilson. What are you going to be watching for during that Powell press conference? Since it doesn't look like we're having, although I will say the equity markets look like they're steepening some of their losses, but mind you, um, not a ton. And the Nasdaq has paired its gain. It was up about forty-five prior to the Fed announcement but now just up about 18, 19 points. What could Fed uh, Chief uh, Jay Powell say that could maybe move the equity markets here?
3: Well, I think the real question is how much pressure does he put, uh, in essence, on, on Congress and the White House to try and get something done in terms of a stimulus? So, you know, how does he see things uh, shaking out based on whether they move, come together, get something done, or, you know, wait until next year? I mean, that's going to be well worth listening for.
0: All right, that is certainly setting us up really well. Hey guys, thank you, thank you so much, Dave Wilson, stocks editor at Bloomberg News, on the remote access from New Jersey. Kathleen Hayes, global economics and policy editor at Bloomberg News, she's back in our interactive brokers studio. Our top headline, top story, Tim: the Fed saying it will continue to support the economy through massive monetary stimulus until it sees quote substantial further progress in employment and inflation. So they are watching this, and I'm assuming they're going to get a lot of questions. Jay Powell will indeed uh, on all of this. Let's do some analysis and let's talk about this because keep in mind in just about 17 minutes time at the bottom of the hour, we will hear from Jay Powell, Chairman of the Federal Reserve, his comments and of course that press conference with reporters after today's decision. So let's uh, bring in Frances Donald. She is Global Chief Economist, Head of Macroeconomic Strategy at Manulife Investment Management. She's on the phone in Toronto. Stephen Skanky back with us, also Chief Economic Advisor at Killpoint, former U.S. Treasury and White House National Security Council's staff member. He's based in Washington, D.C., and I believe that's where he is on the phone on this Fed Wednesday. Steve, let me start with you. So um, Fed maintaining its bond buys, uh, just watching, looking for the economy to see some improvement. What's key for you in terms of this decision?
4: Well, it's not surprising that the Fed uh, didn't change any of its policy stance. Uh, There was a little bit of expectation that they might say something about uh, the composition of their, their bond buying. Uh, but uh, you know, on on net, uh, there was nothing. There was nothing for them to gain by doing that. So, uh, so they just held it steady. Uh, uh, obviously, the the economic environment is is particularly complicated with uh, uh, the vaccine rolling out, uh, but yet at the same time, uh, record rates of infection, hospitalizations, uh, mortality. I think what was most interesting. Uh, to me, though, was the adjustment in their economic projections,
2: mm-hmm.
4: uh, even with all the swirl that's going on uh, in this quarter and uh, and weak economic news on retail sales coming even uh, just today. Uh, they did reduce uh, or they, they did improve the projection uh, for change in real GDP for 2020 overall, uh, taking it from minus three point seven percent for the year to, to minus 2.4 uh, percent. That's actually quite encouraging. Uh, and likewise, for 2021 and 2022, they also improved their uh, uh, their projected estimates.
0: Well, it's interesting. And Neil Dutta of Renaissance Macro emailing me and saying you know, the bond market gets, because he said, too, the Fed marking up growth in each of the next two years marked down unemployment and marked up core inflation. The bond market's selling off because it gets that positive growth story. Um, uh, Francis, come on in on this. Is that also what is jumping out at you or, or is something else? Here's what's
5: jumping out at me. We got a you know the, the end of the news on fiscal. We're getting a fiscal package that looks like it's done, done today. We get a Fed that basically does nothing and marks up growth and inflation. And all we got was a 3.5 basis point jump in the 10-year to 94 basis points. Yes, the bond market knows things are a little bit better now than they were before. But the bond market is also staring down three months of data that is going to quickly deteriorate a central bank that is, whether they do it now or next month, going to have to extend weighted average maturity and the possibility that there are, you know, ongoing turbulence created by the disappearance of 13-free programs. When I look at this bond market, we can kind of look at the daily charts, but it's telling me the same thing, which is that we're still stuck in a recessionary environment. Even if you throw a massive fiscal package and a more hawkish than expected Fed statement, you're still only getting the 94 basis points. And that's the biggest message I can read in the last 15 minutes.
2: Well, Francis, what more could, could the Fed do here? I mean, we're looking at the forecast. It shows that five of 17 officials see a rate hike happening during 2023. The median forecast showing that rates are going to be at near zero levels through 2023. What more can the Fed do to stimulate the economy?
5: The Fed can't do much to stimulate the economy at all, but they can reduce the possibility of tail risks. They can make sure that we don't incur a rate tantrum right at a period when the economy goes through a double dip. And in fact, they should be doing this. Now, Powell's going to get away with this, just like Lagarde did last week. Just a little bit of an increase in yields, that's totally something that the that the entire economy and financial system can deal with. But if we start to see rates move above that 1% and we get more nervous, more of that reflation trade coming in, then we might be heading into a period where those tail risks start to become higher probability. We don't rely on the Fed to boost employment. You can lower rates as much as you want. I'm not going to a movie theater. But what you can do is make sure that it doesn't create a spiraling event that creates a credit event. I think Powell's going to have to come in here in about 12 minutes and lean pretty heavily here, or else he's going to have to direct the New York Fed to start buying as farther out the curve as they have been in the last week or so.
0: Well, Francis, you took us exactly where I want to go. Um, Steve, come on in back on this conversation. I mean, what do you want to hear from Powell? What would you be asking him? And I do think about, do we need to really start thinking about this is the last Fed meeting of this year, The the first one of next year will be just after the Biden administration gets into the White House. Um, we've already talked about a lot of collaboration expected between Powell and Yellen and the economic team of Joe Biden. But what is it that you would want to ask Powell? And what are you expecting come January?
4: Well, what I'd really like to ask him, uh, but I, I'm sure he won't answer at, at all, is, uh, how does he look forward to the partnership with the, uh, the new treasury secretary, uh, his mm-hmm. old friend, Janet Yellen. And, uh, uh, what types of things are, are they thinking about? Uh, you know, they're going to have some big challenges, uh, coming ahead. Uh, uh, the disadvantaged labor groups, uh, uh, some specific industries that are, uh, uh, facing insolvency and, and credit issues that, uh, uh, liquidity won't really solve. And, uh, um, what do they do when they, they can't get the sort of fiscal stimulus that they really need to have? And how is all that going to work together? Uh, I think it's premature for him to uh, to tip his hand on that. But we'll see if any of the questioning can tease any of that out. Uh, that, that's the big challenge. Uh, to do much uh, right now is uh, uh, no gain for the Fed. Uh, better, better to be reserved, uh, uh, keep quiet, see how things behave. Uh, Uh, And and if they need to do something before the end of January, obviously they can do that. But uh, but for right now, uh, just uh,
2: just lay low
4: and act confident and uh, uh, give uh, give markets a positive signal.
2: Francis, let's let's kick that same question over to you. What would you ask the Fed chair if you were able to talk to him in a few minutes?
5: Well, if it was over drinks, I'd ask him as he saw this morning's retail sales report. I want to be at
2: that. I want to be at that drinks, by the way. Yes, it's definitely over, nice. it's definitely
0: over drinks.
5: <laughs> yeah, uh, if I was in the room though at two thirty, I'd probably dive deeper into what they're expecting to do with the longer maturities and how comfortable they are with them. And the reason that I want to ask that is because I would want to subtly get under the surface of how much of a connection Powell wants between fundamentals and rates. Is he ready to take off the reins and let the market trade off of better news, push that 10-year higher up until where it should be, which is probably closer to 140? Or do they want to maintain some financial repression in this and allow some overheating? Of course, he'll never say that he's happy with financial repression in the bond market. But if you could get a sense of where they're going on longer-duration purchases, that might give you a little bit of some insight into the way they're thinking about that.
0: Well, Francis, and do you think he's also thinking about something we've talked about a lot on air with Peter Atwater about the K-shaped recovery? There are people who don't really even feel this economically or they're in the markets and they've made a lot of money and they've actually done okay. And then there are others who have felt so much too much. Um, And I do wonder if Jay Powell, I think he is thinking about letting it run a little hot so that those who really have been left out here again, maybe get some help.
5: Yeah, Carol, I think they probably obsess over the K-shaped recovery, both because it impacts manufacturing and services differently. So the stock market is going to take off while the rest of the economy gets left behind. But also because if we look at what central banks are doing, they continue to expand the way they're looking at the world. They're talking about climate change, income inequality, racial inequalities. The Reserve Bank of New Zealand talking about housing affordability. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to change their dual um, Their inflation and employment mandate, but it does mean the scope over which they observe that is going to change. And this is why, yes, we can kind of talk about the three basis points in the 10-year. We can talk about weighted average maturity, but look at the dot plot. Look at what they're telling us in average inflation targeting. The Fed is not lifting off till at least 2024, 2025, and the rest of it is really kind of coming down to tactical trading and not the main messaging that they're trying to get across. And I really hope that at 2.30, Powell just pounds that down to the table and reminds us, we are not thinking about thinking about raising interest rates because we use a word like that today. Hmm.
2: Steve, I want to bring you back in here and then just talk more about these interest rates potentially staying at near zero rates until 2023. What are the long-term implications of that? I mean, beyond financial markets, we look what's happening in the real estate industry because mortgage rates are are just at rock bottom right now and demand is is pushing prices higher throughout the country despite this weak economy. Give us an idea of long-term implications of low interest rates.
4: Well, over time, you can get uh, um, disruption in uh, in fixed income and borrowing markets uh, when uh, when rates uh, stay too low for too long. Uh, but uh, it seems like they're willing to uh, to take that chance and run that experiment. Uh, uh, both uh, Janet Yellen and Jay Powell uh, have uh, have spoken often about the need uh, and, and the fact that lower-income groups and disadvantaged uh, labor groups uh, only benefit at the, uh, uh, in the final stages of the economic growth cycle. And uh, so they are going to let the, the uh, economy run a little bit hot and inflation uh, be a little bit on the high side uh, to get out there. Uh, and uh, whether that means that uh, they have to apply the brake pedal uh, all that much more firmly if, uh, if inflation should accelerate, that might be the case um it, uh, it it's it's not helpful to long term equilibrium in uh, in free markets uh but i don't think that that's their uh, focus right now you know their, it's intre- their real focus is is the k uh, the k recovery mm-hmm. and uh and doing something to uh, to benefit uh, those that are on the bottom leg of that
0: uh, k el Arian tweeting out over pimco and he's saying uh, he highlighted a certain segment of uh, Chair Powell's upcoming press conference, and uh, or, or from the Fed statement, I should say, and he says that this should be talked about at the press conference. But he said, in addition, the Fed this is the, this is the statement from the Fed. In addition, the Fed will continue to increase its holdings of Treasury securities by at least uh, eighty billion dollars per month, and of agency mortgage-backed securities by at least forty billion per month until substantial further progress has been made toward the committee's maximum employment and price stability goals. I mean, so he's saying, you know, uh, he'll be he'll be asked a lot more about that. Um, and I guess some more details about that. I mean, I don't know, Francis. we talked about this before. I mean, there isn't a lot more that the Fed can do, especially when it comes to, you know, they're about lending. They're not about spending. That's where Congress comes in. And I do wonder what he will say or what we need him to say at the press conference when it comes to that next round of federal aid and federal stimulus. That seems to be making progress, but, man, it's taking forever. Yeah,
5: no, you know, I, I back against the idea that the the fed can't do anything else they Mm. can flatten this curve pretty aggressively and they can make sure that the you know so-called inflation scare that's coming through doesn't materially lift rates prematurely particularly in a period where we're heading into weakness but i think one of the things central banks are going to have to push back on in the next year or so is really you know trying to push back against the idea that they're even thinking about normalizing the ECB just suddenly brings up the concept of a roll-off. Nobody was asking them about that. They just volunteered that information. It's like those memes that go like, nobody, absolutely nobody. Hey, you want to hear about our roll-off plans? <laughs> these, these are not really the, what we need to be hearing. What we need to be hearing is we're boring. We're not doing anything. We'll do more if we need We're not even thinking about what an exit plan looks like. We need that. We just need that for three, six more months. That's all I need. Just three, six more months, then we can talk about roll-offs. Right. But going into a period that's very, very weak and we have to prepare for it. We have to be proactive, not reactive.
0: Well, it's a year where we talked, you know, so much about deliberate actions, whether it, you know, of all that ails us. Right. It needs to be. And it sounds like, you know, Francis, that's what you're saying. Steve, do you agree that the Fed needs to be incredibly deliberate right here about and make sure its message is very clear?
4: Oh, absolutely. Uh, because. Uh, uh, they, they can uh, the markets can become uh, confused, uh, especially, as Francis says, when you look at what the uh, the ECB just sort of uh, let uh, let drop out there. Uh, uh, the, the Fed has been uh, adamant about that. And I think that uh, the chairman Powell will uh, will reiterate that just so that there's absolutely no confusion that they're thinking about doing anything in terms of raising rates uh, or, uh, or or dampening down their uh, um, quantitative easing uh, until well, well into 2023 or or beyond even the end of 2023, depending on where labor markets and inflation are at that point in time. Uh, I don't think we'll hear about it today because these are are primarily the the biggest issues. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there there's also an opportunity if uh, if in the new Congress and depending on what that composition looks like, if if there's not an opportunity to to obtain the sort of fiscal stimulus that the uh, incoming Biden administration thinks that it needs, uh, of uh, of the Yellen Powell combination, uh, of figuring out how the Fed can uh, can provide uh, fiscal-like monetary stimulus mm. uh, in 2021 to uh, to get that additional boost uh, that they uh, may decide they need to have.
2: Steve, uh, we, we talk a lot about the Fed chair, of course, being very deliberate with his language and deliberate in those statements. But what could he say today that could move markets? Steve? Well, I think if he, waf-
4: if he waffles at all on hmm. uh, their uh, the, the interest rate outlook. Uh, so it's more so of a question what he doesn't would... say. Yeah, it's more a question of what he doesn't say uh uh, the, the, the statement that they came out with uh, was very clear. You know, there had been a lot of hope and expectation that they would say something about uh, extending duration, uh, uh, increasing uh, Treasury bond buying uh, at the expense of uh, uh, mortgage-backed security bond buying. Uh, and they avoided all of that, um, uh, I, I think, because it's not needed. It's untimely. It clouds the issue. And it uh, gives the markets a better opportunity to uh, to misread what they're trying to say. So, so, so they they're in a very narrow lane in uh, in what they put in their press release. Uh, right. My guess is that uh, uh, Chairman Powell will will stay in that lane and be deliberate about reiterating the points that they made in the press conference.
0: Got it, Francis. Saving you thirty seconds. Final thoughts here i
5: have got to lean back against some of this hawkishness after this statement. I'm very nervous about this press conference. It'll come down to communication. I wouldn't be surprised. You could make an argument that we see rates test 1% at the end of this mm. press conference or they're back down five basis points. It's been a long time since we've headed into a press conference where I've been so nervous and the range of outcomes
0: so wide. Yeah, exactly. All right, going to leave it there. Thank you both. Frances Donald, she's global chief economist, head of macroeconomic strategy at Manulife Investment Management, on the phone from Toronto. And of course, Steve Skanky, chief e- economic advisor at Keel Point, former U.S. Treasury and White House National Security Council staff member. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser from Bloomberg Radio. And you are listening to Bloomberg Business Week on this Fed Wednesday. Carol Masser along with Tim Stenovic of Bloomberg Quick Take. And as expected, uh, leaving rates unchanged, but we did hear a lot from Fed Chief Jay Powell, uh, certainly as Charlie highlighted there, about expectations, hopes, if you will, for fiscal stimulus, something that is still winding its way slowly through Congress, uh, and we'll see if ultimately we get something, Tim, before the end of the year.
2: Slowly is right, Carol. <laughs> really I mean, slowly. They, they, we're counting down the days until something needs to happen.
0: Yeah, exactly, right? And there's not much left here in 2020. Hey, Let's see what um, our roundtable has to say about this Fed decision and really that Fed uh, press conference with Jay Powell. Steve Blitz back with us, Chief U.S. Economist at T.S. Lombard Lombard, excuse me, on the phone in New York City. Also, Bloomberg Economics Senior U.S. Economist Yelena Shalik. She's on the phone in Long Island. Yelena, let me start with you briefly. I want to get from both of you um, the highlights uh, in the press conference, things that you think investors, our Bloomberg audience, really need to take note of.
6: Absolutely. I think uh, what was very interesting from the press conference is that Chair Powell dismissed any expectations for a near-term change in the pace or the composition of asset purchases. Uh, he noted that financial conditions are appropriate for now and the Fed is providing enough accommodation, uh, substantial accommodation. So, uh, shifting towards longer-term maturities by simultaneously reducing the pace of purchases, something that was like uh, hinted in the latest FOMC minutes, uh, it's not high on our list of priorities, he said. So, Uh, I think what was very interesting uh, in the whole uh, FOMC communique was that uh, they did not hint at any uh, more aggressive uh, pace of purchases uh, going forward. They did uh, uh, actually refine its communications uh, in terms of what to expect in terms of asset purchases going forward, but they were not aggressively uh, saying that they will increase uh, the pace in the near term.
2: Steve, I want to bring you into the conversation, uh, Chief, Chief U.S. Economist at T.S. Lombard. Um, look, I had a chance to look at your note and your reaction right at 2 o'clock. You, you said not very interesting, nothing very interesting in the FOMC statement. What uh, about when it comes to Fed Chair Powell's press conference? Any more color or anything else that you found, anything in there that you actually found interesting, surprising? Well, y- y- yes and no. I think, first of all, I think he
7: basically waved again the white flag and said, look, Near term over the next four or five months, you know, the bridge to, you know, the vaccinated world and the ability for the economy to get there and hold in whole rests with fiscal policy, not monetary policy that, you know, what's suffering is not interest rate sensitive. And therefore, for them to do anything more isn't going
2: to help. I mean, reading Um, reading between the lines here, that's a message to Congress and to lawmakers. That's like, hey, get something done now. I think it's a sledgehammer, not between the lines. But
7: the other part of his message, though, I think as long as we're talking you see your audience are market participants, is this. They're also making the bet that when the recovery occurs, it's going to be another extended growth, low inflation yeah. environment. I thought that was really and interesting,
0: Steve. I thought that was really interesting that he even actually put that out there. Yeah, and so the question is, as a market participant,
7: do you believe that the next cycle is going to have the same dynamic as the last one? I would argue the answer is no, and that Mm. their timeline of when they're actually going to begin to react is a lot shorter than what they're laying out there. Um, But, of course, there's no way for them right now, there's no way right now that they would alter that because it would be counterproductive to – their uh, their messaging. So I understand that. But as a market participant, are you going to bet with that forward curve or are you going to bet against that? And I think it makes more sense to bet against it that the economy is going to end up being stronger and so they're going to have to react sooner.
0: Well, Yelena, this is kind of your world, too, in terms of watching the economy. I mean, could we be setting the stage for another kind of very long, protracted, you know, kind of slow growth, low inflation economy, which is one that we know market investors just love, certainly equity investors? Well,
6: I I think I totally agree with that. And I think uh, despite some, you know, expected rebound, uh, probably in the second half of this year, it will take time for the labor market to uh, get fixed. So look at what what has happened already. You know, yes, there was a quick rebound in economic growth, but uh, less of a rebound in the labor market. And that's mm-hmm. what we are facing going into the next year. I think in terms of inflation, that was very interesting as well. I think the, um, you know, the changes to the summer of economic projections uh, reflecting stronger growth, Uh, lower unemployment rate, but no substantial changes to inflation projections actually highlight that uh, the Fed is not expecting much of uh, higher inflation going forward. So that tells me that they're not that optimistic with respect to developments in the labor market going forward.
2: Yelena, what would have to happen for the Fed to raise interest rates in 2021?
6: Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one. We are not expecting interest rates until 2025. By the way, so so even uh, further than the Fed,
2: the Fed said today.
6: Uh, yes, but you know the consensus is still uh, pretty, uh, you know, uh, in line with no interest rate uh, increases. Just a few of uh, participants are expecting those, but I think we need to see that uh, the uh, output ba- gap uh, to close. And uh, we will need to see inflation expectations uh, picking up substantially. That will not happen without a substantial and sustainable increase in uh, uh, prices uh, going forward. So I think uh, we are ways away from uh, the first uh, rates increase. And by the way, we do not expect a tapering of asset purchases until 2022.
0: But listen... Tim brings up a good point. And, you know, I do wonder, Steve Blitz, is there something out there, an outlier that we could miss, you know, or that you're thinking about significantly? It sounds like you're a little bit more tempered, but something significantly on the downside or significantly on the upside. I mean, we are living in unusual times this year, certainly where we saw, you know, a drop off like no other in the economy and a bounce back like no other in the economy. And we know the way back is usually, you know, much, much more difficult. But is there something out there, an outlier when you get your team together and you're like... Don't forget, this has still got to be on your radar.
6: And the labor market. I think if we see a significant improvement in uh, jobless uh, rate, and right. as well as a significant improvement in participation, that will, uh, you know, result in significant uh, growth in our personal income and consumer spending like way better than uh, uh, the market and uh, the right. economist expectations, that could incur some high inflation uh, quicker. So right. that, that's something to watch. What about, Steve, for you?
7: Yeah, I think that the, the key thing here is that, first of all, it's not your typical recession because it's been, cre- it's been, in effect, falsely created. And it's falsely created in the sense that we asked a big part of the economy to shut down. And that part of the economy eventually reopens. What, If you look at the last 10, 20, 25 years, what Powell's essentially expecting is for a similar uh, pattern of growth, namely a lot of high-end growth and a lot of low-end growth
3: Mm -hmm. in the
7: labor market. If instead, because of COVID and everybody wanting to move someplace else, you get more and and reshoring of economic activity you get higher um construction employment higher manufacturing employment higher office administration employment it's not going to matter in 2021 but because then you're going to see a lot of the lower wage workers coming back as restaurants it comes back to online but in 2022 you're going to see the return of a much higher level of average hourly earning growth than what, mm-hmm. relative to the unemployment rate than what we saw in the last recovery. And the Fed all of a sudden is going to be looking at, a, from their perspective, not mine, but from their perspective, a return of the Phillips curve. And so I think that at the very end of 2022, right. first of all, I think at the end of 2021, they taper, if not end the asset purchases. And by the end of 2022, right. you get your first little increase in the funds rate.
0: All right. We got to leave it there. Hey, guys, thank you so much. Have a good holiday, Steve. And uh, Yelena, you too, if we don't catch you before the new year, although I'm guessing we probably will. Steve Blitz, Chief, U- Chief U.S. Economist at T.S. Lombard and Bloomberg Economics, Senior U.S. Economist Yelena Shalecheva. I'm in my car.
7: This is The Drive to the Close. That punk to music will drive us till the dawn. On
0: Bloomberg Radio. Yeah, let's get right to it. Time for The Drive to the Close. Randy Watts back with us, Chief Investment Strategist at O'Neill Global Advisors. He's with us once again on the phone in Miami. Randy, good to have you here with Tim and myself. Um, hope you're doing well. And I feel like there's so much to talk about. So where shall we begin? Um, I'm curious, the Fed, the meeting today, anything that you think is just really standing out for you?
8: I and mean, i think that well first of all thanks for having me back Second, yeah. i'll try to make it quick so you guys get get out of there before the snow really starts in new oh. york uh with with regard to the fed you no know, i really think there were a couple of things the first is that they're committed to continuing the bond buying i'm sure you've talked about some of this on the show already they said they'll increase asset purchases if the economy slows so what the bulls wanted to hear today they got right the fed is committed they're going to keep buying bonds and they're going to do more if they need to the balance sheet's at $7.3 trillion. That doesn't seem to bother them. They're willing to let it keep going.
2: Uh, what's the market expecting from Congress right now? Because we know, and we just heard from Mitch McConnell, uh, Senate Majority Leader, that they're close, but not yet.
8: I mean, they expect this you know, $900 billion bill. They expect it before the end of the year. They would like to see some relief for small business. I think the current version does include direct payments to consumers. I think that's needed. I think, again, as I, I've said before, the the number one thing that is, is not focused on enough is the damage being done to small business, and you can see that particularly in Manhattan. Where so many small businesses and restaurants and bars are going out of
0: business. Yeah, it's just devastating. It kind of breaks my heart. Anytime I'm kind of going through New York, it's just one boarded up or closed um, retail front after another, restaurants in particular. Randy, one thing that really stood out for Tim and me today in listening to the Fed chairman was what he had to say about climate change. And I love you just put out an article um, at the end of November in Forbes, How to Invest in the Coming Alternative Energy Boom. I think that there is, and many people are thinking about this, that we are at this. Interesting critical time where there's a lot of money being spent by global governments to kickstart the global economies, and that we can do it in a thoughtful, deliberate, environmentally, you know, conscious way. And I, I'm just curious how you see it.
8: I, I'd say three things. First, I feel like clean energy, like I mentioned in the article, it's like biotechnology in 1990. Mm-hmm. You know, in 1990 biotechnology really got going. Amgen had those two major drugs and the whole sector took off. Mm. I think you're looking at a 30-year cycle here for clean energy. If you look at both the Biden administration and the European Commission overseas, both of them want to get their respective economies to basically carbon neutral by 2050. So if that's going to happen, that's an awful lot of spending. The Biden administration wants to spend $400 billion initially over 10 years, in Europe, it's even bigger. They want to sp- spend a trillion euros over 10 years. So there's going to be a ton of spending. And then the third point is that if you look at new builds, so brand new builds for power generation, solar and wind are now actually cost effective. They are as low cost as the lowest cost fossil fuel. So if the cost is the same, why wouldn't you do clean energy?
0: So well, can, I just, can I just follow? So then traditional oil, uh, carbon, like I mean, you know, the big integrated oil companies, would you just run from them? I know they're also getting involved in alternative energy.
8: I, th- I think they need to get involved. I think some are transitioning quicker than others. I okay. think uh, besides the integrated, you can also look at things like utilities. I mean, FPL here in Florida has been very aggressive in terms of increasing its clean energy exposure. But I think you want to be with the companies that are really committed to it and have already started a transition not the ones that are going to be late to the party because it's going to be, it's going to hurt them or it's going to be expensive for them to catch up.
2: Well, one of those companies that you certainly have on your list is Tesla. Uh, this company has just had an amazing year. It's up more than 645% so far this year. It's unbelievable. Um, is the party over, though? I mean, is there still room to get in on this? I think, I think it's a question of
8: timing, right? So they're the largest electronic vehicle manufacturer in the world, They've got 16% share of the EV market, but they've only got 4% of the total market. So they have a lot of room to grow. Their energy storage business is growing about 45% a year, but it's only 7% of revenue. However, let's remember, the stock's going into the S&P on December 21st. That's caused a lot of forward buying in the stock. I think if I owned it, I would hold it. But if I didn't own it, I'd really be looking for a better chance to get in Mm. sometime in the first or second quarter of next year. And that really, I think, goes for a lot of stocks. If you if you look at the market right now, technically, it's trending up along a rising 50-day moving average. But on an individual basis, there's an awful lot of names that are, ver- that are very extended from proper entry points, very extended from their 50- and 200-day moving averages. And I think there are a lot of names out there where people should be taking some profits because they're probably going to get a better chance to buy the stocks back in the first half of the year.
0: And I know there's a lot of other names, Randy, in the alternative uh, energy space that you're looking at, uh, Enphase Energy, Solaria. Um, So we're going to have to have you come back uh, and join us again, because we'd love to dig a little bit more deeper into the space. Randy, Randy, have a great holiday, a safe holiday, and happy new year, and look forward to talking with you in 2021. Randy Watts, Chief Investment Strategist at O'Neill Global Advisors, on the phone in Miami. Um, interesting to hear what you had to say about Tesla thanks so much for listening to Bloomberg Business Week download the podcast on iTunes SoundCloud or at Bloomberg.com and be sure to check out our daily radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and be sure to watch us too on YouTube by searching Bloomberg
3: Global News